So take your Bible to Amos, Amos chapter 4. That's a minor prophet in the Old Testament. Now, minor prophet doesn't mean that he was little or that he wasn't important. Minor prophet in the, in the point that he wrote a smaller book when you compare it to the book like Isaiah. So you've got Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, I want to say. Amos, that's how I orient myself. So if you can find Ezekiel, Ezekiel, start turning to the right. Ezekiel, Daniel, uh, Hosea, Joel, and then Amos, you'll find Amos. The book of Amos, and I'll be in chapter 4 here. And I would like to preach to you today uh, on, a, on a, a topic, a subject on what's it going to take to bring you to God. What's it going to take to bring you to God. Uh, as, as I reviewed, uh, uh, you know, the church and, and what we've, we, we've, we've accomplished this last year, uh, right now this morning, right now this morning, every one of you have perfect attendance record. Right now. Everybody, perfect attendance record. Sunday school, Sunday morning. I'd like to see all of you maintain a perfect... It's got quiet already. Relax, relax, it's okay. Relax, relax, relax. Don't tense up on me. I'd like you to maintain a perfect attendance record through the whole year. Some of you used to. And then you always know when people start getting cold on God, they start missing a little bit. And then that little bit turns into a whole lot. And, and it's just, they got that, you know, when somebody starts to turn, if they're obeying the laws, they, they turn those, turn signals on your blinkers are on you know and you kind of know what's going on there and, and so as of right now be thinking about that as of right now this moment for 2024 you got a perfect attendance record Amen. And so don't forget about our live stream audience. We want to welcome them this morning. I don't say a whole lot about that, but maybe this message is for some of them too, not that it's not for you. And so let's get into it. But what I want you to be thinking about as I do my best to develop this is what is it going to take to bring you to God? Verse 1. Uh, I want you to note this, and, and, and so I'm going to provoke you a little bit. I'm going to poke at you just a little bit here, and I want to introduce you to a little bit of God's character. Look with me in verse 1 how he starts this out. This is Israel, and she's backslid on God. Israel, the Bible says, is a type of the church. It was the church in the Old Testament, uh, the church in the wilderness, and so there's a lot of spiritual application. Now look what he says here in verse 1, how he starts this out. Hear this word, ye kind of Bashan. You see that word kind? That, that is, that, another word for that is cow. And this is a particular kind of cow that was noted to live in the area of Bashan, which will be up to, to today's modern Golan Heights. And they were noted to be very hardy. So this is God speaking to the nation of Israel. And so he says, hear this word, ye cows of Bashan. That's what God's saying. 
just, just in case you didn't know that. You say, oh, I can't believe God would, would do something like that. There's a whole lot in this Bible, if you got in there, that uh, you would learn about God and what God thinks and how God feels about certain things. And God does not feel kindly disposed towards uh, uh, carnality or backsliding. So he says, here, this word, ye cows of Bashan, or ye kind, uh, I love how the Lord, he's kind of got this sophisticated air about him, that are in the mountain of Samaria, which oppress the poor, which crush the needy, which say to their masters, bring and let us drink. The Lord God has sworn by his holiness that lo, the day shall come upon you, that he will take you away with hooks and your posterity with fish hooks. You shall go out at the breaches, every cow. Now, I, I have to. Some of you are picking up. If you've been involved in the, in the Bible Institute, and one of the things we, we learned through hermeneutics is that the Bible is written in parallel syllables. And so he told you kind, and now the Bible's built-in dictionary is defining to you what kind meant. And he says cow. He uses the word cow. Your Bible is very unique in how it works. He says, Every cow that which is before her, and ye shall cast them into the palace, saith the Lord. Come to Bethel. Everybody should know uh, what Bethel is, uh, the house of God. And transgress at Gilgal, multiply transgression, and bring your sacrifices every morning and your tithes after three years, and offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving uh, with leaven, and proclaim and publish the free offerings. For this liketh you, O ye children of Israel, saith the Lord God. Now here's, I want you to begin to notice the phrase. I'm going to read it and I'll point it out. And I also have given you cleanness of teeth. Now, just in case you're like, oh, oh yeah, I want cleanness of teeth. He's going to define to you. He's going to give you a parallel syllable. Cleanness of teeth, he's going to define it. In all your cities and want of bread. This cleanness of teeth he's talking about is not because you just brushed your teeth and you like that slick, clean, squeaky, clean feeling. This is because you don't have no food to eat. So your teeth stay clean. You can't get them dirty by eating. This is what he's talking about. He says, in all your places, here's my phrase that I want you to begin to see. Ye have, yet have ye not returned unto me, saith the Lord. So God said, I'm sending a famine. They're backslid. And he said, yet they have not returned to the Lord. And also I have withholden the rain from you. So God shuts the rain off. From where there were yet three months to the harvest, and I caused it to rain upon one city, and caused it to rain not to rain upon another city. One piece was rained upon, and the piece whereon it rained not withered. So two or three cities wandered unto one city to drink water, but they were not satisfied. Here's our phrase again. It repeats, yet have you not returned unto me, saith the Lord. I have smitten you with blasting and mildew when your gardens and your vineyards and your fig trees, this is about now where they live, their homes, and your fig trees and your olive trees increased. The palmer worm devoured them, yet have you not returned unto me, saith the Lord. I have sent among you the pestilence after the manner of Egypt. So he's laying on them the plagues of Egypt. Your young men have I slain with the sword and have taken away your horses. And I 
have made the stink of your camps to come up unto your nostrils. Here's our phrase. Yet have you not returned unto me, saith the Lord. I have overgrown, overthrown some of you as God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah, and ye were as a firebrand plucked out of the burning. Yet have ye not returned unto me, saith the Lord. Therefore thus will I do unto thee, O Israel, and because I will do this unto thee, prepare to meet thy God, O Israel. Let us pray. Our gracious Father, we come now. We thank you for this time that we can spend together uh, in your word. And Lord, uh, um, be with us this morning. Be with the hearts. Let the distractions be small. And Lord, if there be any that is backslid, that is astray, Lord, bring them uh, back today. If there be any lost, Lord, uh, help them to see their need that they will stand before the Lord in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. As I said earlier, Israel is in apostasy. They had despised the law of the Lord. They had thrown the word of God out. They had embraced and followed lies. Meaning you can't reject the truth without grabbing the lie. If you reject the truth, you've grabbed the lie. They were given to sexual immorality. They were worshiping idols. And they were oppressing the poor and crushing the needy. And the Lord, if you was to go back and look at Amos 3 and verse 1, Amos 4 and verse 1, of course, Amos 5 and verse 1, the Lord had raised up prophets to warn them. God always sends a warning before he drops the hammer. And then the Lord has told them in chapters 3, verse 3, that two cannot walk together lest they be agreed. We use that verse quite a bit, you know. Well, you know, two can't walk together lest they be agreed. And that is a truth statement. But God is using it here. I'm not going to continue to walk with you and while you're living this kind of a lifestyle. And so the Lord was going to bring judgment upon them. And the purpose to bring this judgment was to bring them back to God. You see, the Lord chasteneth every son whom he loveth. God is not this all-tolerance people of the world today wants you to think that God is a Santa Claus who only does good and always is jolly and cheerful. I got news for you. God is not going to let his children get away with the nonsense that you let your children get away with. There will be a reckoning. And he says, he says, if you're not going to come back to me, you're not going to come back to me. He was putting all this on them. He says, look, then you need to prepare to meet your God. And so I ask you this morning, what's it going to take to bring you to God? As, as we see this phrase repeated time and time again, and they refuse to come back to God, it begs the question today, this morning, right now, to you and 2024, what's it going to take 
to bring you back to God. And of course, I'm talking about being in the perfect will of God. I'm talking about doing and pleasing and living your life pleasing to God. Not half-heartedly, not in a lukewarm fashion, but that you could go and glow. Our lives should glow for Christ, and then we should help others grow in Christ. And some of us have gotten hold on God, and I believe this is a message that God wants me to preach, to send the warning like He did years ago, what's it going to take to bring you to God? Sounds a lot like the churches today. Let me give you a couple of characters in the Bible. When I say a couple, maybe five or six. So you kind of get a good picture on maybe what it took to bring certain characters to God. Number one, the first person that comes to my mind is it took a nervous breakdown to bring Nebuchadnezzar to God. Nebuchadnezzar was a wicked king. He was the king over Babylon. He was full of the sin of pride. And it kept him from God. Uh, he was against the children of Israel. God had let him uh, go in and take them over. And so he brought them back into Babylon. And remember, he built that image. And then he told the three Hebrew children and, and everybody, all the children of Israel that were there and captive, if when you hear this music... All kinds of music. When I strike up that praise band, you're going to bow down to that image. And if you don't, I'm going to throw you into that fiery furnace. Remember that? That's the guy I'm talking about. And God began to work on him. Nebuchadnezzar was full of himself. He was full of pride. And the Lord come to him by way of Daniel. And Daniel warned him. He says, the Lord's told me, Look, the next time you say to yourself, look at what I've done, and, and I'm the king of the world, uh, God's going to strike you down. And guess what? It was a year. Nebuchadnezzar made it a year. And one day, walking through the palace, maybe he had biscuits and gravy for breakfast that morning. He was kind of, well, he must have had bologna because, you know, he was, he was squawking, you know. Uh, you, you've heard that, haven't you? About that little sparrow. Little sparrow, it's in the wintertime. And he's sitting up on the telephone wire there, and he's hungry, and he's, he's singing. And uh, uh, <laughs> this little boy walking to school has got a bologna sandwich. And this little boy, uh, uh, he didn't like the bologna that hung out past the bread. Now, I like the bologna that hangs out past the bread. But this little boy didn't, and so he clicks off that bologna, and he throws it down. Boy, that little, <laughs> that little sparrow goes down there, and he gobbles up that little bologna, and he flies back up there, and his little belly's full of bologna now. And all of a sudden, this hawk comes flying by and comes down and eats him. You say, well, what's the moral of the story? When you're full of bologna, it's best to keep your mouth shut. Nebuchadnezzar maybe had fried bologna that morning. I don't know what he had for sure, but what he did is he made the statement, look at all that I've achieved by my own hand. You know what God did? God struck him with a nervous breakdown. You go read that account. He had a nervous breakdown so bad that he thought he was a cow. And they run him out there in the field with the cattle, and he ate grass like an ox for seven years. And his fingernails grew like the claws of a bird, and his hair grew 
grew all over his body like feathers because he refused to acknowledge that God had done these miraculous things in his life and it took a nervous breakdown to bring him to God because when he was over and done, he says this in chapter 4, verse 37, when God let him have his mind back. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, he says, now... I praise and extol and honor the King of heaven. Yeah, amen. All whose works are truth and his ways judgment and those that walk in pride is able to obey. I do believe that Nebuchadnezzar got saved. But it took a nervous breakdown to bring him to God. So I ask you this morning, what's it going to take? God is putting a whole lot on the nation of Israel. And each time he put something on them, uh, uh, they just said they refused to return to God. But it took a nervous breakdown to bring old Nebuchadnezzar to God. So I began to look at this Bible. There in the book of Isaiah, it took the death of a king to bring Isaiah to God. You see... Isaiah said there in Isaiah 6, verse 1, In the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. Now you look at Uzziah. You would find the account of what happened to Uzziah in 2 Chronicles 28, sorry, 26, verses 18 through 20. What King Uzziah did is he come marching into the house of God, the temple, and he grabbed up an incense and he wanted to offer incense on the altar. It was not his place to do that. It was strictly forbidden. Only the priests could offer incense to the Lord. And because of that, and the priest warned him, they said, look, no, don't do this thing. He said, I'm king, I'll do what I want. And God struck him with leprosy, and the man died a leper. And when that happened, I was Isaiah says, wow, I've seen the Lord high and lifted up. The year King Uzziah died. A funeral See, Uzziah didn't know his place. And yes, God is serious about how we worship. I believe that a lot of our churches could take that into consideration because we're living in a day and age they think God doesn't have a personality. He don't have preference. It doesn't matter how we worship. It does matter. It does matter. It does matter. And God wants it done decently and in order. So it took a funeral to bring old Isaiah to God. And then I'm reminded, and I couldn't leave this one out, old Jonah. Remember Jonah? The backslid preacher. Yes, by the way, preachers can get backslid. Preachers can get just as ornery as you can. Preachers can get backslid. And God, the word of the Lord come to Jonah there and said, I want you to go up to Nineveh and preach to them. And Jonah said, eh, eh, I ain't doing that. I'm going to Tarshish, which was the other way. You know what happened to old Jonah? God whooped up a wind, a great wind, a great storm, and the Lord prepared a fish 
to swallow Jonah. And you know what Jonah said when he was in the belly of the whale? Jonah prayed and said, Out of the belly of hell cried I. Now Jonah was a saved man. As a saved person, you won't die and go to hell. But God can make your life a living hell. And this storm in a fish ride brought old Jonah back to God. Now you think about that. No, if you're born again, if you're a child of God, you don't have to worry about dying and going to hell. But as Jonah prayed in the belly of that well, God can make your life a living hell to bring you back to God. And what old Jonah do when that fish spit him up? You know what happened? He hit the ground running and went right up the Nineveh and says, You know what? I think I better get to preaching. And he preached, and the whole city was converted. Now, he got mad about that. The only preacher I know of that got mad that over 150,000 people got saved at his revival meeting. The Lord said there was 150,000 children, so there was more than 150,000 people there. And the whole, whole city got saved. Talking about a revival. Backslid preacher. You just don't know what God can do. But it took a storm and a fish ride to bring Jonah back to God. You know, I couldn't leave this one out either. I'm reminded of Paul and Silas. Remember that account? There, Paul and Silas, they were stripped of their clothing and they were beaten and they were thrown into a jail there in Philippia and the Philippian jailer was there he's an imperial Roman soldier he believed that Caesar was God so he was worshiping a man as a God and so he was complicit and he he put them in shackles there and put them in that prison and and Paul and Silas got the singing and praying and praising God and singing songs of glory, the songs that they probably knew. And God sent an old earthquake in there. It took an earthquake to bring the Philippian jailer to God. That Philippian jailer turned the light on. He thought everybody had escaped because God opened all the doors. He's getting ready to take his own life. And Paul said, do thyself no harm, for we are all here. And he comes rushing in and he says, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. But it took an earthquake to bring the Philippian jailer to Christ. And then I'm reminded of the prodigal son. Remember him? Luke 15. The prodigal son, he come to his father and says, Father, give me my substance. He didn't like how daddy had him living. He didn't want to live and worship the God that his father was worshiping. He didn't want to live like that. He wanted to live his best life now. He wanted to go party. He wanted to go party hardy down in the far country. And so his father parted to him his, 
his money, his inheritance, and sent him on his way. He thought he had some good ideals. He was going to make some good investments, but he had a spending problem. And so he got down there partying, and he wasted, the Bible said he wasted his substance in riotous living. All he could think about was partying. All he could think about was a good time. And this phrase was popular when I was growing up. I was in my teen years and later. A lot of the kids that I was around says, oh boy, I just want to party hardy. I want to party hardy. Friday nights was a big deal. And they'd go out, we're going to party hardy tonight. Todd, you want to come with us? I'm nope. I got a wife and a family. We're going, we do family nights. Where do you think family night come from? <laughs> I wasn't out going partying with the boys, running. I come home to my wife and my two little ones, and we watch cartoons, and we eat pizza and chips and drink a little pop and, and did all those bad things. But we had fun together as a family unit and played games together. But we invested time into each other on a Friday evening. But not this prodigal son. He just had too much to do. He wanted to get away from it all. I guarantee you that boy had probably a phrase that I hear so much. I just want to be me. Let me be me. Let me alone. Leave me alone. Give me what's coming to me now. I want to be me. I'll tell you what, that's ruined many a people. Because the me you want to be is totally against God. And so it wasted is substance on riotous living. And guess what? A famine come. The economy crashed. And because he, he was a foreigner, he began to be in want, and he joined himself to a citizen of that country. And that guy says, well, I need somebody out there to take care of those hogs. Now, to a Jew, that was an abomination. This was a Jew boy, and they weren't allowed to be around pigs. They weren't allowed to eat bacon. Oh, terrible. <laughs> they weren't allowed to eat sausage, so they probably didn't have white sausage gravy. Guarantee they didn't. <laughs> and so there he is, living with the hogs. And he said, with, and fain would he have filled his belly with the husk that the hogs did eat. And you say, what, what did that mean? It means he wanted to eat their food, but they wouldn't let him root in. He said, with fain. He said, it's fake. Boy, I can taste it. I can feel it. I know it'll nourish me. But he was starving to death. You know, I advised my parents in the church when they have prodigals. And I dare say every family in here has probably had a prodigal or so. When your prodigal is in the hog pen, you need to stop taking bread and water and food and the game system and everything else down there to them. Because God is trying to work on them. God is trying to bring them back. And there you are interfering with what God's trying to do. And they'll never get out of that hog pen. They'll never turn that life around. They'll never come back to God. That father stayed on the porch. Did he love his son? Yes, he loved his son. He looked out every day looking for that son to come home. But he did not go down to that hog pen. He did not take him any food. That boy's going to have to Figure it out on his own. And guess what? It took rags, poverty, and bankruptcy 
to bring that prodigal to God. Parents, if you got prodigals, they'll come back a whole lot quicker if you stop enabling that. You say, well, why don't you try it? I did try it. I did do it. I did do it. I'm, I'm not going to watch one of my children live against God. I had it. I lost a son. I lost a son through a dirty church split. The devil's cruel. And he got to playing in the world and got away from God. And he began to live a different life. And he was living at home. And I said, uh-uh, it ain't going on here. Pack your stuff up and hit the road. I'm not paying your car payment. I'm not going to help you with your housing. you got to figure it out. You're not living for God. And by the way, I don't want Jonah in my boat. He was backslid. And so he went on. You know what? I thought I lost him. So I looked for him every day. My heart broke for him every day. I prayed for him every day. God brought him back. He brought him back to God, and he told me this sitting at the kitchen table. He says, Dad, if you'd have never done what you did, I'd have never come back to God because I'd have been trying to figure out ways just to make it keep working so I could keep my party life going. He says, but when I had to pay my own bills and I had to make my own way and the poverty come, the bankruptcy come, and there was a famine, <laughs> and that's what it took to bring the prodigal back to God. I think we can take a lesson to that. You say, boy, that's cruel. I know. There's some people in the church didn't like that. They're not here now. They said, we think you're doing wrong. I said, well, we're going to find out. You've done it the other way most of your life, and they're still gone, right? Yeah, okay. And I'm not bragging. I thought I lost my son to the ministry because of the ministry. I'm going to tell you, that's hurtful. So I know exactly what I'm talking about. When it talks about you've got to look at your own child and say, you're not living in a right in accordance with this book, and you're going to have to figure that all out on your own. Want to know why? Because God will bring them back sooner. Because God will, God's not willing that any should perish. Don't you think God doesn't care as much about your children as you do? God cares more for them. He'll work in there. And he'll bring them back. It took rags and poverty and bankruptcy to bring the prodigal back to God. I'm reminded of one more character in the Bible and what it took to bring him back to God, and that's King David. You remember that? King David was where he was not supposed to be. He got to looking at something that he should have never looked at. And then he got to lusting after it, and then he had to have it. Now, men, you don't need to be where you're not supposed to be. And men, you don't need to be looking at things you shouldn't be looking at. Whether it's on your smartphone, TV, whatever, you don't need to be looking at it because it'll make you fall into sin. You can't take fire into your bosom and your clothes not be burnt. 
You can't play around with the lustful nature of man. And David got to playing with that thing thinking he could handle it. And he took Bathsheba and they had an affair. And then to cover it up when she was found with child, he had her husband killed. I got news for you. That's a shameful thing. And David was a man after God's own heart. But you know what it took to bring him back to God? To get him back on the straight and narrow, to get him back into the house of the Lord, to get him back serving God the way that he knew he should have been doing, it took the death of that child. God took that child. Could you imagine what David thought? That child paid the price for the sin that he committed not only that child, but Amnon was killed. And you go on through there, he paid fivefold. But it took the death of the child to bring David back to God. Here's what we can learn from the scripture God's not playing. God's not playing around. We're almost out of here. We're close to be hearing that, 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 that trumpet sound. You get Iran involved in this thing, and you get them coming down against Israel like they're threatening, and this thing escalates a little more. We're about out of here. So what's it going to take in 2024 to bring you to God? What's it going to take? God's not playing around. So what's it going to take this year to bring you back to God? Like you know you're supposed to be. What's it going to take? Well, we know it took the bitter cup of sorrow to bring David back to God. It took rags and poverty, bankruptcy, Bring the prodigal. It took an earthquake to bring the Philippian jailer. It took a storm and a fish ride to bring Jonah back. It took a funeral to bring Isaiah back to God. And it took a nervous breakdown to bring Nebuchadnezzar to God. What's it going to take? In 2024 to bring you back to God. Let's all stand this morning. God's not playing around. One thing that we can learn about the church age is God started very strict in the early church age. Remember Ananias, Sapphira? They lied to the Holy Spirit of God. God killed them on the spot. Now here's the point I'm trying to make. God started the church age very strict. It would not surprise me if he'll end it strict also. And so I'm asking you this morning, what's it going to take? to bring you back to God, to get you back on fire, to light your pilot light for God, and to get your wood burning again for him. What's it going to take? I need a song of invitation, please, quickly. We won't be long. I've not preached long. But I do believe it to be the message. And 